It's philosophy talk. And now, a message from the President of the United States. How can we know what would be true in another possible world? In 2000, when you overwhelmingly made the decision to elect me as your 43rd president, I knew the road ahead would be difficult. Al Gore might have become president in 2001. What sort of fact is that? In the last six years, we have been able to stop global warming. Glaciers that once were melting are now on the attack. Can there be facts about what might be as well as what is? What if the scientists are right and one of those giant glaciers hits Boston? That's why we have the lockbox. What does it mean to talk about what might be true or false in another possible world? As for immigration, solving that came at a heavy cost, and I personally regret the loss of California. Our guest is Lori Paul from the University of North Carolina. What might have been? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Hello and welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. Today, what might have been. Many things that did not happen might have happened. For example... If I hadn't been such a procrastinator, I probably would have written a lot more stuff in my career. And many things that did happen might not have. I went to Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame, but I might not have. I could have gone to Case Western or MIT instead. And some things are bound to happen. Unless you're immortal, you are bound to die. Now, the distinctions among what actually happens, what might or might not happen, and what is bound to happen are what philosophers call modal distinctions. And today, we're going to explore the role that modal thinking plays in our lives. So we're going to ignore the advice of that sage philosopher, Willard Van Orman Quine. He said, ask not what a thing may or must be, ask only what it is. Not to mention Sergeant Joe Friday of Dragnet and his mantra, just the facts, ma'am. But you know, John, Quine and Friday both got it wrong. Contrary to the good detective, talking about what might have been isn't just idle speculation and as he thought, it's a way of sticking to the facts. And that's just because, contrary to Quine, in addition to facts about what is, there are also facts, real facts, objective facts, about what might be, must be, or can't be. Well, I don't know, Ken. I mean, facts about what actually happened, I get, I understand. Something happened, that's a fact. You're a philosopher, that's a fact. What makes it a fact? Well, you went to a fairly re reputable university, I'll give you that for the sake of argument, got a degree in philosophy, got a job teaching philosophy, published things in philosophy, all that adds up to your actually being a philosopher. But now how about this supposed fact that you might not have become a philosopher? What makes that true? Some concrete property you actually have, then it's actual. Some concrete action that you actually took, that can't make it true that you might have been something else. I just don't get it. John, you, your problem is you want to try to reduce facts about the possible to facts about the actual, but that, you know, that can't be right. There's just way more things that are possible than are actual. There's not enough room among the actual for the possible. Ah, you're making me fondly remember Quine. I mean, you think that there's facts about the possible that are just primitive, further additional facts above and beyond the facts about the actual? How can that be right? 
How can we even know such facts? I mean, what is the world? The world is things happening. Once they happen, they're actual. The world isn't a stream of possibilities. It's a stream of actualities. You really do sound like that grouch coin. He really was a grouch about possibility and necessity and that sort of stuff. But look, we confidently talk about things beyond the actual all the time. Look, especially when we engage in counterfactual reasoning. And that's kind of the bread and butter. That's reasoning about things that are explicitly contrary to fact. Look, I once thought hard about becoming a lawyer, but I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't because here's another fact. I'd be I, If I had become a lawyer, I'd be a lot richer than I am now, but I wouldn't be nearly as happy. That's a fact, John. That's a fact. Where am I going to find that fact? What makes you so sure that there's a fact like that? Maybe if you had become a lawyer, you'd have been one of those crusading do-gooders who's really happy, although poor. Somebody more interested in saving the world than making a buck. Look, I know that's a fact because I know a couple of things. I know that in general, lawyers are richer than philosophers. I know that ideas matter more to me than money does. And I know that my becoming a lawyer wouldn't change any of that. Ergo, it just follows. If I had become a lawyer, then I'd probably be richer than I am now, but far less happy than I am now. That's a fact, John. Well, but look at how you just reasoned. You went from a premise about the way things actually are. Lawyers tend to be rich. Then you instantiated yourself into the antecedent. If I were a lawyer, I'd be rich, or at any rate, have more money than I do now. That's not really finding some kind of mysterious modal fact. That's just a kind of reasoning based on what the world is actually like. Thinking about counterfactual possibilities is more tied to the actual than you're imagining. Well, okay, but, you know, thinking about the possible isn't strictly limited by the actual either. I mean, we can imagine remote possibilities far removed from the actual. Even And and here's the thing. Even remote possibilities are still possible. I know what your problem is, John. Look, it takes a real visionary often with a rich imagination to look beyond the actual and find the outer limits of the possible. Somebody like me, you know. Ah, so so the problem isn't with this mystical possible clap trap. It's it's with my imagination and that I'm not a visionary like you. I got news for you. Just because you can imagine something doesn't mean it's really possible. You can imagine all sorts of things that will never be and could never be. Faster than light travel, magic wands. Frogs that turn into princes upon being kissed? Okay, look, I, I grant your point, and I grant that, as always, there are lots of really challenging questions to dig into here. For example, just what are facts about what might have been? And how do they relate to facts about what actually is the case? And how can we know anything about what might have been, given, as you say, John, that the world confronts us with a stream of actualities, of things actually happen, and not a stream of possibilities? Clearly, our imaginations play some role, maybe the entire role, in allowing us to think about possibilities. So, to get us started in our search for answers, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, the one and only Caitlin Esch, to learn more from some folks who combine highly developed imaginations imaginations with skill at counterfactual thinkings. That would be children. She files this report. I think children's imagination is pure brilliance. Susan Regan is a marriage family therapist in Berkeley, California. She works a lot with preschoolers and with kids whose parents are getting divorced. Regan says play is a powerful indicator of a child's struggles, revealing things they may not be able to articulate. Kids can't talk, but they can play, and you can read the play just as you would uh, a narrative that someone is saying. 
Children use imagination when they're trying to understand a situation and determine what's real, especially when they've experienced trauma. And that could be anything from a child going to the hospital for like an emergency appendectomy um, and how they make sense of it. Like sometimes it might be, you know, I stepped in a hole and then my stomach hurt, you know, um, and then that hole has some kind of magic powers that made my stomach hurt or something like that. Children use imagination to draw conclusions, to figure out causation, how one thing leads to another, but they don't always get it right. Regan says parents are supposed to provide translation, especially when it comes to divorce. What do you think you're doing? Here's a scene from the TV show Mad Men, where yeah, Don and Betty Draper's marriage is on the rocks. Their daughter Sally misunderstands what's happening. She acts out. Her mother catches her smoking a cigarette in the bathroom and threatens her with consequences. You're not going to be watching television. You're not going to be playing with your friends. You're mean. You betcha. Get in there. Tell him daddy when he gets home. Go ahead. He left because you're stupid and mean. Here, Sally draws the right conclusion. Her father yeah, left, but for the wrong reasons. Why won't you let him come home? When families are splitting up, therapist Regan says it's important to help children understand why, so they don't make false connections. Daddy's on a trip. And children oftentimes think that what they did created what happened. Like in the 1993 film, Mrs. Doubtfire. Sally Field's character splits from her husband, played by Robin Williams, the day of their son's birthday party. Here, the father is packing his things as his kids watch him prepare to leave. This is all my fault. God, no. Why would you think that? I should have never had a birthday, Dad. This never would have happened. The boy is practicing counterfactual thinking. He's seeing a connection between his birthday and the divorce. And he's thinking the divorce would never have happened if not for the birthday. And he blames himself. Regan says when this happens, therapists can help the child rewrite the narrative. And I might do this in a drawing, I might do this with clay, you know, I might do this in all different kinds of ways, but we can kind of create maybe different middle and ends of the stories and try, I try to break the connection that I feel like isn't helpful for them. With a little creative thinking, Regan helps children get closer to the truth. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.